Welcome to another edition of the Bruins Beat here on CLNS Media, episode 81. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. Joe Gill not with us this week, but we've got a special guest sitting in here at the uh, the Murphy Studios, and it is Joe Haggerty of CLNSE. It's going to be kind of weird they're doing the CLNS and then the CLNSE. It's, uh, we're going to get confused all show, but we'll figure it out. Uh, Joe, how you doing, buddy? Good. What's going on, Mark? Not much, my man, and I know you were uh, down, uh, down. I guess it would be kind of parallel, into Chicago for the NHL draft uh, last weekend. Uh, not really a lot of noise out of the Bruins camp, uh, as we were just discussing off air. Some safe picks, in your words, by the Bruins there. Uh, let, let's look at the picks right now, just your take on uh, the impression you got from, from that. How does it fit in with the direction of where they're going right now uh, in terms of development? And, and needs. Yeah, I mean, in general, obviously the first round pick is going to be the, the biggest and most magnified part of the draft, and you're going to pick that one apart the most. And I, I think that, as much as anywhere else, is where you saw a safe pick, where they took the uh, kid Euro back in nine and six one, you know, 180 pound defenseman out of Finland and you know granted very good class out of Finland the last couple of years there's a lot of talent coming through in the generations uh, these last few birth years uh, coming out of that country and we're seeing it in international play uh, how, how good these players are but I don't know if you're gonna make a kid a first round pick I think you would like to see that there's something dynamic about him there's something special about him and from what I saw briefly at the World Juniors, because I really didn't notice him in the World Juniors, and from what you hear from scouts, he can skate. You know, he's got decent size, but there's not a lot of offensive upside. He really hasn't shown that part of his game. He's a good defensive defenseman. He's a good kind of stay-at-home guy, maybe a good two-way guy, but not a real dynamic element to his game. And I feel like, even though this was a poor quality draft, all around, I think, and, and most people agree on that. When you're picking 18, I feel like you got to go for a little bit more upside. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like this was a safe pick of a player that might be in the league for 10 years and might be like a number four, number five defenseman, you know, that they think is going to stick around and last, but isn't necessarily going to reach that, you know, top tier uh, of players in the NHL, where right after that, uh, got picked a few picks later, were guys like Christian Vaselinen, the big power forward out of Finland, left winger, uh, 6'3", 220, can score, is exactly the kind of player that the Bruins need. Um, or Kaylor Yamamoto, the undersized... That's the kid I wanted. Super fast, super skilled kid that Edmonton took a few picks later. Uh, you know, and Keith Gretzky, oh, by the way, the old scouting director is now at Edmonton instead of Boston. So uh, those kind of players I liked more. The higher upside, shoot-for-the-moon kind of players, you know, really take a risk. Maybe they bust, but maybe you get a superstar out of it rather than take a meat and potatoes kind of uh, player like Macanina. You know, maybe he develops into something special. Maybe he develops his offensive side. He's much better than I'm giving him credit for or the scouts are giving him credit for. But I, I just wasn't impressed with that pick. And it, the draft in general I thought was very average. You know, they also in the fourth round took a kid, Cedric Perret, who by all accounts is – or I'm not – in the sixth round. Sixth round, yeah. Uh, by all accounts is From just – From St. Six, John's. Yeah, six foot two, 200-pound grinder – it doesn't have a lot of skill, 
and doesn't really bring much to the table. Why do you waste a draft pick on a player like that? You could probably sign as a free agent. Mm -hmm. You know, picks like that, I just don't understand. Yeah, the other thing I was wondering about too, Joe, is whether they would have, because we all know that goaltending is a, a very weak area in the organization right now in terms of depth. Um, and I was wondering if they, obviously they'd take o Odinger from yeah. uh, BU. My question to you is, maybe they're contemplating on it, but then were they scared away from taking a goalie in the first round again after what's happened with Malcolm Subban? Do you think that sort of is a scar on their, you know, their ability or, or willingness to take a goalie in the first round? No, I don't think so. I, I think what they would have liked to have done is trade it down if they were going to take him because I think the consensus was he was going to go later in the first round. He did go uh, 26 yeah, to the stars, yep. In the first round. Uh, and the Bruins felt like that area was where he was going to get picked, and that was the right value for him. And it was a little too high to try to pay, take him at 18. So, And they tried to move down. They wanted to move down. I think that's the player they wanted if they okay. were to move down in the first round. So I don't, for the right player, I don't think they're necessarily gun-shy. You know how much Don Sweeney loves his BU and BC and Harvard and yeah. kids, college hockey kids that play locally. It seems like there's a, a heavy favoritism towards those kind of players. So I, I think they would have jumped on that if, if the timing was right. I just felt like once they got stuck at 18 and they weren't able to move the pick, they had guys higher up on the board than drafting a goalie right there, and that wasn't the right place to do it. And, you know, back in nine, and Scott Bradley said he reminds him of Bob Coffey in a way he skates. I, <laughs> I, I, I felt like that was a little strong at the yeah. time. Uh, that's you know putting a lot on. Did you talk about how he skates in alumni games? Or? <laughs> Yeah, now. <laughs> if you put him in a race now, he might be able yeah. to beat Kapalka. Well, I, you know, I, I saw the Oilers and Jets alumni game last year, and, I mean, he reminded me a lot of coffee. But there, but... Look, if, if he's Paul Coffey, I think the boys will be extremely happy yeah. with what they got. But I, I think that might have been overstating the case a little bit. I just think, all right, so you find out you can't trade down, and yet Yamamoto is still there. Yeah. I don't know how you don't take this guy. I mean, 227 points, 84 goals, 143 assists, and 190 games in the WHL, a very tough lead, by the way, uh, for a small guy to accumulate that many points. And not only and, that, Mark, and who gets him? Your know. former GM, well, who you blast for horrible drafts. Well, Keith Gretzky, who was your scouting director, yep. the guy that did your drafts until he went and is now the assistant GM over yeah. there, and I'm sure has plenty of input into who they're taking uh, in the draft mm -hmm. in his scouting background. So, yeah, I, and look, this is the same kind of thinking or the same thing they did the year before where they took that kid, Trent Frederick, the big sort of, you know, projects to be a third-line center at the end of the first round, and then a few picks later, Alex Brinkat uh, gets taken by the Blackhawks, and he's the leading scorer in all of junior hockey this year, and, you know, he's another undersized, really dynamic offensive player who, you know, may be a bust and may not be able to make it, may be too small, may not be strong enough, but is worth the gamble, I think, at the end of the first round just in case you hit on him and he turns into the next Johnny Gaudreau why wouldn't you take a chance on a player like that given that the direction the league is in now yeah NHL is way more wide open when it comes to young undersized speedy players now than it used to be much more friendly towards them there's much more of a ground there exactly for those kind of players to have success make plays and be really effective and I, the Bruins don't have got a lot of guys like that on no. the roster and I think they could use a few yeah I'm with you on that uh, obviously, the draft, Joe, too, has become um, kind of uh, the real NHL trade deadline uh, since the salary cap era began. And then you you factor in this year having that expansion draft in Vegas. And, I mean, trade chatter was at an all-time high as, as people arrived in Chicago. We had already had some trades thanks to that expansion draft. And then 
some that were probably set up on the table there in Vegas to carry it over to Chicago. And then, you know, the first uh, day there in Chicago, there's a trade. And then that, the morning of the, of the draft, there's plenty of trade movement. And the Bruins are in none of it. Um, from what your sources are telling you, were they trying to be part of that? Or was it just not a focus right now? But they were definitely trying to be part of it. They wanted to move the first-round pick. Uh, they have, I don't think they've made a lot of secret that they'd like to move Ryan Spooner and you know package some of that mm-hmm. stuff together to try to get either the left wing for David Krejci or the left-shot partner for Charlie McAvoy in a top-four capacity, one of those two uh, needs that they have on their NHL roster. They were definitely involved in talks. My sense, because uh, the Minnesota Wild was a team they were talking a lot mm-hmm. to, my sense is that they were willing to give up the first-round pick for Jonas Brodeen. That's the player that they wanted, and that's the player they were really going after. I don't think Minnesota wanted to deal him. I think they wanted to deal Marco Scandella. I think the Bruins were hesitant about moving their first-round pick and ultimately did not want to move their first-round pick for a player that's a little more of a stay-at-home-ish, bottom-pairing type than a guy that they feel like can skate with uh, McAvoy and be a really effective partner for him. And he's got a $4 million price tag. So, you know, maybe if Minnesota is willing to pick up some of the cost on him, they might be more willing or they take on, you know, somebody from Boston that they're trying to get rid of, like a Jimmy Hayes or somebody else. You know, that might have worked for them, but I don't think it ever got to that point. It didn't materialize because of that. I just, to boil it in simple terms, I think they wanted Brodeen. I think Minnesota wanted to deal Scandella, and it didn't happen because of that. Is that going to get revisited? Uh, down the line, sure, because the Bruins no longer have that first-round pick. It would probably have to be different considerations for a guy like Scandella if they get him. And I think they also want to, you know, look in other directions and avenues and see if there's other players out there that they could get at. You know, and I saw you tweeted this, and I've said it a few times on the air and online, that um, Kulikov is a guy that I think would be a very cheap free Yeah, I mean, they've, they've targeted him before, yeah. so it makes sense. Yeah, but they like the player. It's and- not... The primary guy they're looking for. No, 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 but yeah. he could play top four, he can skate, he can defend, he could be in that role of McAvoy. And he's not going to cost much. And he would probably be very interested in signing a one- or a two-year deal for short to prove himself. value back yeah. up and, and really hit it with a payday. So I think that's another guy that, you know, the back pocket they might have yep. that makes sense on July 1. Obviously, Carl Alsner would be a great fit. I just don't oh, think they're going to want to spend the kind no. of money it's going to take to get a player like that as far as free agents go. But there's been so much talk about so many defensemen that it's probably in the Bruins' best interest to sit back and wait a little bit and see if, like, somebody comes available that they really, really want rather than settle for somebody this early that might not be the the perfect fit for them. You know, in a perfect world, uh, I thought might have even been a guy I would have been interested to look at. Yeah, I just wonder if if were the Bruins on his no-trade list. You know, that's the problem. Uh, you know, one thing I'll say, Joe, is, uh, you know, I, I've heard the same as you. They were very active in trying to find that defenseman. But from what I'm hearing is teams aren't interested, weren't interested in that first round pick just because, like we were saying no. earlier, this is a weak draft. And they're interested more in the likes of, you know, uh, a JFK, yeah. players like that, some of the young players that the Bruins are trying to filter into their uh, lineup right now. And, and you or know, sort the of, trim, in there. or Carl, the guys Carl, are already in there. Carlo yeah, Carlo for sure. And and so that's the thing. Like you get you have to give to get right now, and, and that's the case. Unless you can just find a GM sleeping or a GM who's in a really bad cap situation, you're gonna have to give to get. And I don't think the Bruins have the guns right now 
to, to give back to get the guy they want. Well, it's it, not, it's willing to it's, give. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, not that they don't have. It's just that they're yeah. not willing to give that up, and I, I think that's the right call. Yeah. I don't think they should give any of that stuff up. If, if you know, Jakobs Borrell, I think, could be in play. I think that's another reason they... Here his sure. stock has dropped a bit. It, it has, but he's still a first-round yeah. first yeah. pick. I think that's part of the reason they drafted the kid back in 9-2, and two, is potentially to replace him if they do end up trading him, because he's another left-shot former first-round pick defenseman. Um you know, they're going to have to, I think, deal Adam McQuaid if, or try to anyway. Well, that's why they expose him, too, yeah. yeah. I mean, they let and, and Ryan he's Spooner, out. Yeah. And Jimmy Hayes, all these guys, they've got to find either ways to get rid of them or, you know, figure out what they're going to do to not have them on the roster, you know, whether it's buy them out, put them down in, in Providence, whatever. But, I, you know, they, they have some chips they can make a move for. I, I And they and Don Sweeney referenced next year's first-round pick too and maybe being willing to deal that which is supposed to be a much stronger draft so that might even be something that just replaces the talk of this year's uh, first round pick but let, I, I hope that Don Sweeney learned a lesson from the trade deadline which was he didn't get a sexy player, he got a guy in Drew Stafford that wasn't really playing much for Winnipeg was having a down year, he gave up next to nothing for him, it ended up being a fifth round pick and he came in and he did the job and he was pretty good and he helped the Bruins and he helped them get into the playoffs so you don't necessarily need to go out and make the move that everybody's saying you need to make or the sexy move in order to be effective and in order to get you where you need to go or want to go. Sometimes you're better off making the low-rent move or making the low-risk move, high-upside move, like a Kulikov, to plug a guy in there that mm-hmm. might actually just perform for you and be in the right place at the right time. Because he, want, yeah, he wants to prove himself. And it's not going to cost you anything more than money to sign him to a contract, which, you know. Yep. I, I, if I were the GM, that's what I would do is either Kulikov Maybe Ron Hainsey, if you still think he can be a top four guy. Maybe Brendan Smith, if he's uh, affordable enough. And get one of those second-tier defensemen in free agency to try to plug that void. And then hope that Zborl develops. Maybe he's ready if those guys aren't good enough. Or, or somebody else that you have down in Providence can, can come up and fill in. And can we just you know dispel the myth for Bruins fans out there that you know when we're talking trade proposals and what it might take to get so-and-so, like say a Jonas Brodine or something like that, it's not a first in Ryan Spooner. People need to understand how far Ryan Spooner's value has fallen. I mean, he's literally borderline. I, I said it on Twitter, and I'm not afraid to say it again. He's borderline a throw-in right now. He really is. I mean, he's, he's part of a guy you put in at the end of a package. Here's A, B, and then here's Ryan Spooner. I, I think he's a little bit more than that because, look, he's still, even though he's had some down moments and he was not playing at the end of the year, which is a – a huge black mark on yeah. everybody's record. But he's still, you know, 12, I think, what, 12 goals and 40-something points averaged over the last two uh-huh. years. He has the speed. He's very effective on the power play and will help a team's power play. There's some selling points with him, and I still think there's some value. I think he's more than a throw-in or more than a, you know, just above a throw-in. But I, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I, it was going to take more than a first-round pick in Ryan Spooner to get Brodeen if you're going to trade for a guy like right. that. And certainly – you probably have to throw in a defenseman as well. I, I guess it's just it gets on my nerves when you, and every team's fans do this. They overvalue their their players, oh, of course. you know, and they have to understand. It. Put yourself in the other GM's shoes and then use that point of view. And that's that's the problem at this time of year is people don't do that, and then they're so shocked and they get mad at the Bruins that they didn't move anyone. And it's like, well, it's not necessarily the Bruins' fault they didn't move anyone. It's just that this player that they're targeting has much higher value than you believe. Well, in, in that vein, what really aggravated me was around the expansion draft 
people seem to think that Vegas was going to take Ryan Spooner and Malcolm Subban yeah. in trade from the Bruins to not take Colin Miller in the expansion <laughs> draft. And I was like, what planet do you think George McFeon, yeah. that he's going to take the Bruins trash that they're looking to get rid of, you know, their players that they're done with, and ignore the best player available to them in the expansion draft in order to take, you know, these players that the Bruins don't want anyway, these misfit toys that the Bruins aren't interested in anymore. It's like, yeah, that that's, stuff like that is irritating because it's just fans have no clue in that particular aspect. But yeah. You look at it through their lens, Murph. They love the Bruins. They want to see Don Sweeney swindle every other team and win every other trade uh, unanimously, you know. So they, they always have that in mind. And it's it, it's going to bleed through to these ridiculous trade notions that they have. Exactly. Well, the other Bruins news uh, that followed the draft this week, of course, on Monday, Joe, was the Hall of Fame induction announcements um, and, and two Bruins-connected uh, uh, new members going to the Hall of Fame. Well, three, and actually. Three. Andrew Chuck. Oh, yeah, that's right, because Andrew Chuck was here for a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So uh, three, you got Dave Andrew Mark Recchi, and I think one that really surprised and angered a lot of Bruins fans, uh, owner Jeremy Jacobs. Well, it didn't surprise you. you oh, I knew, yeah. You, you had it months ago. Yeah. You knew that, you, uh, that I, Jacobs I, was getting in. I did. I knew he was going in. And I'll tell you. I'll tell you one I guess thing. Hack. Todd should read your stuff a little bit. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we could get into that in a bit, but uh, yeah, that was comical. Well, that, I, that guy's um, that guy's got an issue with everybody. Yeah. I remember somebody once mentioning me to him, and he was like, "The only person I read in Boston is Kevin Paul Dupont." Yeah. Like, right, <laughs> I don't think Kevin Paul Dupont's happy about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Jeremy Jacobs goes in, and I think you know that's the one. And obviously maybe not for the right reasons, has made the most noise. Uh, and you wrote a piece uh, on your site on Comcast Sportsnet New England, CSNME.com, uh, kind of defending the selection. So why don't you just expand on that here? Yeah, you know, and some of the confusion was that the radio station here in Boston, Felger and Maz yesterday was talking about it, and they kept saying the team builder. Like, that's what the category was. It's not no, it's builder in terms builder. of the whole league yes, and the game, too, yes, not just the league. It's builder in terms of, of hockey. Yes, building up the game of hockey in, in all its forms. And it's, so it's not just about being the owner of the Bruins. It's about being somebody that has furthered the game of hockey, opened it up to more people, promoted it, you know, backed it financially, all that stuff. And, you know, you can make the argument that as owner of the Bruins over the last 42 years, that it's not necessarily Hall of Fame worthy, his run, his stewardship. One cup in 42 years. Um, they've been to the final six times. They've won a slew of, you know, divisional titles. Uh, presidents, a couple of presidents trophies. Mm-hmm. They've had Hall of Fame players, like all that stuff. Now, you can make an argument there that there's not enough there for him to be in the Hall of Fame. I think on its face there, that alone that kind of a run with an original 16 would probably be Hall of Fame worthy. But you can make the argument either way, and it's very easy to make the argument either way, and you can be open-minded there. But I think when you pull back and when you look at him, having been such an influential and powerful member of the Board of Governors and an owner in the NHL, um, he's been chairman of the Board of Governors the last 10 years, was a, a very key player in that lockout that cost the NHL an entire season, mm-hmm. and has done so many things in the league's name and, you know, from the owner's side for the betterment of the league, as well as obviously the betterment of the owners because they own the league. But he's done enough stuff there that I think you can make a very easy argument that it's a no-brainer that he should be in as a builder given all of his accomplishments. I mean, just on its face alone, all by itself, 
that 0405 lockout. If the, the NHL doesn't get its salary cap, if they don't get some kind of cost certainty involved, you will never ever see the Nashville Predators in the Stanley Cup final this past year like we did. That's a good there point. are a lot of small market teams that probably wouldn't exist anymore and certainly wouldn't be competitive. And you'd have the Rangers, the Blackhawks, the Maple Leafs, the Canadian. You know, you'd have the, these five or six teams that would be outspending everybody else. It would not be a fun league to cover or to watch. It would not be an entertaining product. And all of that is because they got the salary cap and they saw the tea leaves there. And the players didn't want it, obviously. The owners did. And I think Jacobs was the biggest owner influence in making that happen. So just on that accomplishment alone for the betterment of the league and the betterment of spreading hockey to all these small markets that wouldn't survive otherwise, I think it's an easy argument to make that he deserves to get in. Now, when I wrote that column, I also admitted... He's not beloved. He's not going to be a beloved member of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. He's certainly never going to be beloved by uh, a lot of corners of the fan base in Boston who look at him as a guy that didn't spend when he had Neely and, and Bork and had you know teams yep. that could have won the Cup instead was just good enough to get into the playoffs every single mm-hmm. year. And there, there's some resentment there that's always going to be there, even though the last ten years since the uh, cap came in that they've spent in the cap. You know that that's always going to be there and be part of his ownership. But I think when you look at him on its face, everything that he's done, and I'm not even getting into the Bruins Foundation and the charitable stuff, he's absolutely Hall of Fame worthy as, as, a, as a builder in the NHL, no question about it. Yeah, I think the the counter-argument to that, and I agree with you on the, on the first lockout, but people say, well, what about the the most recent one? Was that really necessary? And, Probably you know, th- that, that hurt the game more than it helped it. Sure. Yeah, uh, and I think the other thing to look at, and this is the feeling amongst a lot of, people in hockey right now around the NHL is that he pushed himself into this selection that he, because he holds so much clout because he has so much power. Um, you know, he says, Oh, I'm so surprised this happened. He knew all along he was getting in. And, and so, so you don't think any of the owners before him that got uh, in did the same thing? Oh, I think, I think that happens all the time. No. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of them do, but I, I don't think, I don't think people realize how much power Jeremy Jacobs does have. Though. Yeah. You know, I, I think, like you said, they get too focused on his power with the team he owns. Whereas, I mean, this guy, Gary Bettman's working for Jeremy Jacobs. Yeah. That's the way I see it. And, and so this guy has a lot of power. But you know what? Look, I don't agree with probably 80% of what he does, but I can't argue some of the stuff he said there. He's also behind the scenes, done a lot of charity work. Yeah. Um, the Bruins Foundation has awarded over $28 million since it came in. Uh, being in 1993, yeah, I've seen it up close where they've given money to all kinds of different people for all kinds of different reasons. Even to, to like um, John Martin, camera guy uh, for Nesson, who yeah. came down with ALS, yeah, and uh, they donated along with the Professional Hockey Writers Association 20 grand uh, to his you know charity to kind of cover his costs, uh, you know whatever he needs uh, moving forward with his family. You know, they do stuff like that for people all the time, and they don't go for publicity, and they're not doing it to get their name out there. They do it because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, people, I don't think, don't focus on that stuff enough and just focus on, you know, what some angry fans have thought about Jeremy Jacobs from 1991, Mm -hmm. which is no longer really, you know, relevant. Yeah, I'm with you there. I just... He's just look. There's just something about him that like you question. He's not a warm and fuzzy guy. No, but I mean, I think would agree like, does he do all this charity and does he do all these things for the game? Does he do it 
out of the kindness of his heart, or does he do it with financial motivation because he knows it's going to turn into something else profitable for him? And I think that's what gets people about Jeremy Jacobs. But hey, that's what being a businessman is. I get it, and it, it, it it's not pleasant. It's not happy. It's not uh, like you said, warm and fuzzy. But no. it is what it is. So I, I I compared it on TV last night to Montgomery Burns. He looks like him getting into the Springfield. <laughs> Nobody's going to be really overly excited about that. There's a lot of people that are going to roll their eyes, but like you know, there's no question he's one of the most powerful people in his generation of the NHL, and those are the people that get into the Hall of Fame. People that make things happen, and he absolutely is one of those guys. Yeah, for sure. Listen, before that. I go, yeah, let's get into this little uh, Jack Todd tiff. And it was an interesting <laughs> thing that happened there, Joe, as you saw it unravel there on Twitter. Uh, I didn't even understand exactly the genesis of it. it okay, so basically what happened was I was uh, I, I was told via a very reliable source that Andre Markov would be looking for a two-year deal. Uh, and he was looking in the range of three point – he was willing to accept $3.5 million a year. That has since been disputed by Renaud Lavoie. Uh, who, by the way, stole two of my scoops in the last two weeks. Uh, but that has been disputed by his source up in Montreal um, saying that he wants $6 million, but he does want a two-year deal, but he wants $6 million a year. Who knows? But what happened was when I tweeted this about Markov, out of the blue, Jack Todd, who's probably commented on one of my tweets maybe once in the, since the evolution of Twitter, I, you know, I never really hear from this guy, he comes firing at me. Saying you're just some stupid blogger from Philadelphia that make that ruins journalism and, and everything about you is, is, is everything that's wrong with journalism. I read the column, but I didn't think he was talking about you because he oh, talked yeah. about somebody from Philadelphia. Yeah, but he doesn't, the, even, know where he, he he doesn't even know where I'm from. Yeah. And I tried to explain that to him on Twitter, and he, he then proceeded to block me because he couldn't take the onslaught of people defending me against him. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty interesting. Uh, and then he wrote about me and took another shot at me there, and, and it was funny. Like a lot of well, the problem is nobody's gonna know who's referencing because he doesn't even get your location. Exactly. Some poor random blog, <laughs> unknown blogger. In Philadelphia I, I think he confused me with the uh, the infamous Eklund. I think that's uh, what happened there. Maybe. But uh, it was pretty interesting. But this guy, from my, what I'm my, told, my is just a miserable is, guy. Well, like, like, look, if you're so confused that you can't even get straight the city of the, the origin of the guy you're talking about, maybe you shouldn't write about him at all because you just look like. A jackass when you are writing about something and you get it completely wrong. Like, he, you know, isn't isn't he a newspaper writer? Aren't we supposed to be yeah. held to a higher standard and actually get it right? Yeah. Like, you look like a tool when you're trying to <laughs> rag on somebody and you get the facts wrong too. I mean, yeah. it's true. It's interesting, but uh, you know, I'll tell you, I get where he's coming from. I know where his frustration is with the way the journalism world is going, and you and I have had this. Discussion Look, numerous we both times. Like Brian Wild, and I but hey, part of the column too, and I respect the hell out of Brian. Yeah, Wild, and I hope that he continues to have a voice up in Montreal, covering the Habs and talking yeah. about sports up there, because I think he's fantastic at what he does, and he's always been good to me and nice to me. Yeah, and I think he's good at his job. So I hope he, he finds somewhere uh, a place to land. But it's it's not like Murph, you're getting rich off, uh, you know, other people. Uh, losing their jobs and you're getting rich off of what you're doing. You're struggling just like everybody else yeah. to make a living, to go out there every day, to yep. put food on the table and to do whatever, you know? So, like, I have a big issue with anybody coming at and attacking anybody else that's just trying to make a living. Yeah, You know what exactly. I mean? It's like, dude, you just get off your high horse. Yeah. Go do something else. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But uh, it's going to be interesting, Joe. I, I think we're on the same page as we go towards this free agency period. Um, you know, I think... Bruins fans need to temper their expectations right now. 
expect maybe the complimentary pieces we discussed there, but who knows? I mean, what happens in the next few days, then other doors may open up because of that. And it's a ripple effect all the time. So you have to see what happens. But I would not expect them to be throwing major money at a guy like Carl Allison. No, I don't or think, Shattenkirk. I don't no, think they're no. in on Shattenkirk I think anymore. They're way out of him. I, I, that's not. And, and my sources tell me with Shattenkirk, uh, one team to keep an eye on is the New Jersey Devils as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one thing, like the defenseman part of it, they need to go out and find somebody. I, I wouldn't be stunned if the Bruins try to look in house for the left wing of David Krejci, which has not worked in the past because. David Krejci does not want to play with a kid. He wants to play with somebody that can finish off the plays he sets mm-hmm. up for him. He gets frustrated if he's playing with somebody that doesn't feel like it's up to his level. Yeah. And that's not exactly a great place to drop like a Jake DeBrusque or a Zach Sinitian or a Dan Heinen or an Anders Bjork or any of these young kids that are trying to like figure it out and, and develop on the fly at the NHL level. That's that's a tough setting for them to be mm-hmm. in. But I, I think there's enough candidates in-house and there's enough talent there that they may try to look there instead of necessarily going out and getting a free agent or making a trade. But I def- they absolutely need a left-shot guy to play with McAvoy. I do not think that Tory Krug should be a top-four defenseman in a pairing with Charlie McAvoy this coming season. I think that's good danger written all over it. And do you sign the Daniel Charter extension or not? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't now. I wouldn't I wouldn't. Ahead of time. I'd wait until the year's over. Yep. Why rush it? With a player like that, there's no reason to sign him ahead of time. And I think you got to see physically how he gets through the year before you're going to sign him to any kind of an extension. Now, if he gets through this season and he has a year similar to last year, maybe you're able to scale back his minutes in a shutdown pairing with Brandon Carlo yep. and play like 20 minutes a game instead of 22, 23. And if he continues to play like he has, if he's uh, helped as much as he was this past year by Carlo, who I think it was a symbiotic relationship where they both helped each other have pretty good seasons. Yeah. If that happens again this year and he doesn't look his age, sure, I'd sign him to a two-year deal at that point. Two? I would. If he got through another year, Oof. based on his conditioning, based on everything else, if he has a year just like this past season again, mm-hmm. this coming season, I'd be okay giving him two years. I'd do that. I mean, a year and a half. But didn't you think he looked worn down in that series against Otto? Because he was playing 35. That's what I'm saying. Time. But, I mean, yeah. he's going to have to do no, that. No, 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 no. Charlie McAvoy is going to be the number one defenseman in this team. And he's going to be the one playing. The but that's team. why I think it's imperative you get that other defenseman we're talking about. Because I, I just, yeah. Char can't continue to do, I think no. Char can no. can be yes. a, a contributor, but you can't expect he, him no, to do that. three or four. He can't be the one. And but McAvoy's here's the thing. Have to be the one. Can you convince Char of that? Because I, we both know that's a big thing to do. Uh, he's going to have to swallow a bit of his pride. Oh, his team. He, he does to a degree now. I mean, he... They took him off the power play all year, and he swallowed it this year. Yeah. They, they told well, we, him, we don't know what happened behind gonna, the scenes. But. You're going to kill penalties. Well, they did. They, yeah. they told yeah. him, you're going to kill penalties, and you're going to uh, shut down the other team, and that's your focus, and that's all you're doing. Yeah. And he went along with it. I don't think he was particularly excited that he wasn't on the power play anymore for the most part, but you know he agreed to it. So yeah. I, I think he's amenable to it, but I think he also isn't going to shy away from like wanting to go out there and play 30 minutes like mm-hmm. once the playoffs hit, but that's... That's a young man's game. That's Charlie McAvoy now. Like he needs to be bred and developed as the number one defenseman of this team because you know it's going to be a learning curve for him this year as that guy. But two or three years from now, I think he's going to be a no question, uh, no doubt about it, stud number one defenseman for this team, and he'll be playing a ton of minutes and he'll be leading that uh, core. And it's players like him and Pasternak that are going to be leading this team into the next. Uh, you know, ascension up towards being cup contenders. Again. And finally, are they going to get a backup goaltender? 
I don't. Uh, I don't. I feel like they're leaning towards McIntyre right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't think they're going to. I, I'd be okay with McIntyre being yeah. the backup. I think he'd be all right. Um, I certainly, I don't think it's going to be Subban. But even if they get somebody, it's going to be somebody cheap. They're not going to invest a lot in, into any backup goaltender that they have. Um, McIntyre, I think, deserves a shot. I think he's looked good enough. He didn't mm-hmm. have a very good end to his season in Providence. He was yanked in the last playoffs. Yeah. I think he might have been tired of that. But that wasn't all him. No. That team fell apart, too. Yeah. So. But um, the, only, the only other thing I'd say we mentioned Pasternak is uh, I've been told that there has been progress made in his contract talks. Are you thinking he's looking at bridge or are we thinking long term? He's looking slightly under Marchand in average annual value. So probably wow. just slightly above six and a little bit less term than Marchand, but not much. Do you agree so, with that? Yeah. And you don't think you should do a bridge? No. Nope. Just based on his defensive nope. liabilities and... He was fine last year. I didn't think he was that I bad. thought he turned the puck over a lot at the end. Well, he did at the end. Especially in the playoffs. But Yes, but he and Marchand both turned over because they were both being targeted because they were only guys doing it yeah. offensively. The other team and that's why on that's why they need depth. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's why you need to go out and get a left wing for Dave Krejci. So you can't just key on one line and stop you know one or two players right. and stop the whole team. Um, but no, I've he's the future of this team up front. I have no problems with giving him that kind of money after he put in the work last summer to make sure he was big enough and strong enough to withstand the season and to put up the numbers he did and to win battles and get more involved and do all the stuff that he does. I, he's a star player. You, you yeah. need to pay guys like that. Well, I'm with you on that. We will see what happens. Joe, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for stopping by into the Bruins beat here on CLNS Media. And uh, we will be back with Joe Gill next week. Give my best to Joe. Will you, you know that? Joe? Oh, yeah. Ah, Joe's a great guy. He is. He's a legendary Bruins fan. Glad to be uh, working with him. So uh, we will be back. It's another edition of the Bruins Beat on CLNS News.